Welcome to The Way Home with Laura Smith, the show that brings you wonderful guests, helpful advice, and uplifting stories. The Way Home. Live inspired. Here's your host, Laura Smith. Thank you, Jimmy. Well, it is uh, the time of year when so many things are being honored or it's an awareness day for some organization. Very important, usually. Uh, lots of them. But it also happens to be the beginning of open enrollment or AEP, as they call it in the biz of health insurance. And we have someone here that is so much expertise in this area because, uh, well, for, for someone like me, I have no clue um, what's available, what's out there, what the rules are, what the premiums are, when you need to do things. Carrie Young from Carrie Young Insurance, she's licensed in 13 states, including Indiana, and uh, she's going to let us know really the real basics on what we need to do. If you don't have your own health insurance broker, I'm telling you, you're going to want to get one. And Carrie Young is available. She's absolutely wonderful. And it doesn't cost you a penny. You're going to hear all about it coming up on the way home. Also, we've got someone here from PETA talking about racehorse abuse and what they're doing to finally nip these some of these terrible practices in the bud, especially after the uh, Kentucky Derby this year. Eleven horses died. Something like 11 horses died uh, during the week leading up to that most famous race. We're going to hear about that and also about um, how workers are now uh, being told that Narcan is going to be there available at their workplace because, well, they've seen an uptick in overdoses even while people are working. So all this information and plus good news stories to take you out and into your new week. Uh, Jim Cleanfield is here for that, and he's always got something to uplift your spirits make you feel good when so much is going on in the world. We pray for peace and uh, just truly that uh, we can maintain some semblance of humanity and love during these very difficult times. But The Way Home is here to kind of be a friend to you, and hopefully you'll enjoy everything you hear today. It's all being brought to you by the wonderful people at Balance of Nature fruits and veggies in a capsule. Balance of Nature is a product like absolutely no other on the market. There are no, absolutely no ingredients in it that aren't food. So you don't have to worry, oh, does it have some isolate in there that they've created in a laboratory and maybe I'm allergic to it or I don't have a good reaction to it. It's just food. And the the list of 31 fruits and vegetables are right on there on the jar, and you can see nothing else is added. It's a truly remarkable product that was developed by Dr. Douglas Howard, who's a physician, a doctor of chiropractic, and a scientist researcher. And he did this all in pursuit of helping people to live more nutritious, healthy lives. And what doesn't good nutrition help with? It helps helps to heal you from the inside out. Balance of Nature is easy to get. A friend of mine just started on the program uh, this week. Easy. Go to balanceofnature.com. And when you have it shipped once a month to you and you put my name in the promo code, you're going to get 35% off the first shipment and free shipment always. It's a really wonderful way to get started on your road to health and wellness, no matter what your age, from baby to elderly you need good nutrition and balance of nature is the way. Go to balanceofnature.com. Put Laura in the promo code. When we come back, Carrie Young from Carrie Young Insurance. You don't want to miss this information. It's crucial for anyone here living in the United States. I'm Laura Smith. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Wow. Well, it's that time of year. October means so many things, and it's Awareness Day for a lot of different organizations. But I'll tell you what, what I think is one of the most important aspects of October for most of us here in America is that it's open enrollment season when it comes to Medicare, health insurance, and the like. And it's really important for so many of us who are at that point in our lives where we maybe have to start planning for it, thinking about it, or actually implement it. I have somebody here that is not only an expert in 13 states on Medicare, health, and life insurance, but she was my personal broker when I moved back to the Midwest from New York, and I was so grateful that she had been recommended to me. And come to find out, just about everybody in the state of Indiana uses her, not to mention the other uh, 12 states she's licensed in. Carrie Young, thank you from Carrie Young Insurance. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Laura. It's a pleasure. I really was. I mean, as soon as I got here, I was looking for, for somebody, and I must have been uh, I must have had five different people recommend you and then come to find out literally everybody on the planet knows you and loves you and works with you because you do something that I think in a million years, you could pay me a million dollars. I would never be able to help somebody work through health insurance questions, issues, Medicare. I just think it takes a certain kind of person that can do that and do it with the the grace and the kindness and the patience that you do it with. You've been to my home to visit my parents to help them. You helped me. So thank you. I know this is a super busy time for you, but you you carved out some for this. Uh, it is what they call open enrollment. Correct. Yes. And that, is- that starts, uh, it's already started. Yep. It, it pretty much October 1st through the 14th, you can meet with and, and learn about the new plans. You can't get enrolled until October 15th through December 7th. And um, it's also called AEP, annual enrollment. Um, So for those people that have heard that term too. So open enrollment, AEP, that is for people who are in Medicare already. So that's important to make that, um, you know, discerning um, time period there because just because somebody maybe could be is Medicare age, or maybe they have a group employer plan that they're already getting, you know, their insurance through, you don't have to sign up now. It just is a time to review maybe what you already have. I see. So at at a certain age, everything turns over from regular insurance to to people that are, what is the age and what what are the requirements for getting? So so generally everyone that is, has worked or has a spouse that has worked will earn Medicare Part um, A and B at age 65. A, you don't have to pay for if, like I said, you've worked or you earn it through a spouse. B, you have to pay for. Basically, you have to pay to play. Um, and that gets you 80% coverage. So A and B is 80% coverage. A stands for the hospitalization part. B is the doctors. And different things then fall under those categories. That's under original Medicare. We've had that system in place since the 1960s, 1966 to be exact. So um, it's been around for a while and it's pretty, it's generally worked very well. Um, The other aspect of that is if you have not been here, maybe you haven't been in the country long enough, maybe you haven't worked long enough and didn't have a spouse, you weren't married, you do have to pay for part A. That will cost you. And part B, 
when you do pay for that, it can be different prices for people because they may have earned different income. That is definitely something to consider if you are aging into Medicare and you are already on a group plan. Um, I met with a couple the other day and it just didn't make sense for them to go for him and her to fully go into Medicare, even though they are both able to go into the system because they aged in because he was able to stay with his group plan a little bit longer because it was going to cost him a little bit more money to, to pay for the part B. So it's really important to sit down with somebody to explain all of that to you. So you make sure you make the right financial decision for you and your family. Absolutely. So is it a little bit like Social Security? It's based on how much you made is kind of what level? Yeah, they go back two years. It's called IRMA. And they basically will look at what your income was. And it's your, you and your spouse, too. That's important, too. It's not just your income. It is your household income that they are going to base your premiums off of. So this is just important you know, to consider. Most people that I meet, um, you know, 90% of them are going to be in that, the, what part B is right now, which is 164.90. And then in 2024, it will go up to 177, I believe, um, 80 a month, 177 in, in there, 177. And that will go up in 2024. Um, and our part B has gone up the last couple of years pretty steadily as the prices have increased under, you know, in our healthcare system, things have gotten expensive with inflation and stuff. So a lot of people see that correlation where they get a little bit of a raise in social security and then they up the part B a little bit. Um, and it's just kind of how it has been for, for years. But the other important thing I was going to touch on earlier is you can definitely earn Medicare before 65 if you've been disabled for 24 months or oh. more. They will automatically enroll you in Medicare. They consider you a long-term disability at that point, and we'll let you go ahead and get into that system. So that is something to, to consider too. So people under 65 can get into Medicare as well early. I've got 20, 30, 40, 50 year olds that I meet with all different age groups, depending on different disabilities that may already have Medicare. I see. And when you said those figures, like 179, 80 yes. and stuff like that. So you're talking about a premium that yes, needs to be paid. Exact to the to Social Security to basically to our government to be able to be in this program. You earned it, but you still have to pay a little bit for it. Okay, but and that figure does not vary according to people's uh, yes. Incomes. Part B's Part B is based on your income. So yes, it does. It, that's okay. what I, yeah. So you can easily see it's it's called Irma I R R M A. They'll say IRMA calculations. You can easily Google it if you are worried about being in an, an inflated income, or you can call a licensed agent. They can help you as well to kind of figure that out if you're kind of a higher income household. And when I say higher income, it starts at, um, for a couple, 180000 or more. So mm -hmm. when you get to that higher income, you're going to be paying a little bit more for your Medicare. Now, somebody, the, what is the difference then between Medicaid and Medicare? I'm, this is elementary because, for a lot of people. Yeah, because Medicaid is a basically every state has a Medicaid system. Okay. Um, Social Security is a federal system. So it's a national basically system. Everybody pays into that as based nationally. But your uh, Medicaid is based in the state that you live in. 
And people can qualify depending on their income. And sometimes people who are disabled, obviously, they may have a lower income. They may already be getting some type of Social Security at a younger age, just depends on their circumstances. But those are called, those things are called Medicaid and Medicare savings programs. That's a big word that's out there right now for people. And it confuses a lot of people because they see all these commercials on TV. They get all this stuff in the mail and they think, oh, what's all this free stuff? What are all these, you know, two, three thousand dollar dental programs? What's all this free food? What's all this stuff that I can get you? They see it all over Facebook and on TV. And I tell them you have to qualify for those things by your income. So if you are an income that is not getting Medicaid now, you're probably not going to qualify for anything like that. Now, I do tell individuals, don't hesitate to call somebody like me or even work with a Social Security, uh, the office or a local agent. There's lots of local agencies that will help get people Medicaid. And um, don't you know be afraid to do that because if you think you're low enough income, a lot of singles low enough income um, to uh, look at and see if they're able to get, maybe they can get their prescriptions for very low cost or they can get their Part B paid for, which is what that Medicare savings program means. They are actually paying for your premium to be in Medicare. And then they I have- see. They have other additional programs that they can put. Like I have programs that I can put with individuals. Those people are called dual dual special needs plans. We call them DSNPs in my industry that have Medicare and Medicaid and they work together. And those programs have gotten very, very good the last few years for people. So it lets them utilize more benefits that they wouldn't already have in Medicaid. So if you have Medicaid and Medicare, and you don't have a program that is like by a private insurance company, some of the big ones that are out there that don't have additional benefits for you, you might want to look into that because there's a lot of great stuff in those programs and they don't cost you anything. So yeah. Wow. Okay. That's incredible. And again, things that I know me personally, I wouldn't know any of this. Yeah. yeah, You're that's like why me, I had to come. Laura, I need my private insurance too. And when you came to me, you didn't have insurance through your job. So that's what I do as well for people who are under 65. We have other options, you know, whether that's a private insurance plan, marketplace type plans. And that's what we worked on together for you to put in place. Yes. And it was, it was just so wonderful. I, I, I found myself feeling bad for you because I, my questions were so elementary and, I, you know, now it's different. I have a job now. And so I get health true. insurance through my job. But true. when I first moved here, oh, I didn't. Moved there, true. Yes. And I absolutely. had to figure it out. Yeah. And it and was. People, yeah. Are in that they're, they're between jobs or whatever. And they need gap insurance or they need something for a little bit of a time. I just tell them, I'm like, call me. Tell me what the situation is. I have a lot of people who've lost their jobs recently. You know, the sooner you're able to work with somebody, the better. So we can get you affected because insurance most of the time will start on the first of the month. So we have to keep that in, you know, in perspective. Some private plans can start whenever, but. You know, it's, it's usually the first of the month. So if you get laid off on the 28th and you need to find something maybe by the first or whatever, don't hesitate to try to reach out to somebody, you know, to help you. There are so many different. I remember we were also talking about my daughter was visiting that time from Germany and she yes. was wondering because she was going to be here for a month and she wanted to know if she could get interim insurance right. with you. And you had all the answers. And I just cannot tell you what a relief that is. Yeah. Um, and she felt relieved. And, and it's it's an incredible thing to try to. I, I know many people try to just do this stuff by themselves. Yeah. 
themselves. And I think, of course, they can, you know, some people can handle it. Me, no, absolutely not. I need somebody to help because you also are going to be, you know, every scenario. Yeah. You know what? That's so true. I was just thinking through that because doing so many cases through the years, you do absolutely. Everybody is, is individual, but it really comes with Medicare. It really comes down to two different ways to get your insurance covered. So when I sit down with people, I'm asking them how they use their insurance. It's really important. I know what their medications are so I can understand how those are going to work under insurance because that right there might make our decision on one way or the other, because we know you're going to be using your medications every month. And that might be the more expensive part of your health insurance plan or your Medicare plan. Mm -hmm. So that's really what I gather from people. And then I'm like, do you travel? Those are all things that you really need to look at. Um, and that's where I would say, don't, you don't have to do it on your own. There are people like me, we, you know, we don't get any, you don't pay us anything to meet with us. We get paid by the carriers. That's how we get, you know, we keep our jobs just like the auto and home guy. They keep you on their portfolio. That's how I get paid by somebody who is with me. And I get paid by the carrier to maintain you and to help you with any of your um, questions. And are you, you totally um, got there before me because I was going to say now, you know, for people who want to know what's the price tag on having right. somebody like Carrie Young to yeah. help you through the whole process. And I was almost shocked. I almost fell off my chair <laughs> when I realized, wait, what? I'm not going to have yeah. to give you pay a percentage. You know, it's not real estate. It's it's no. something else. But uh, yeah, that's right. Every you come to me and we that we can design different plans for you, different options. Um, like I said, with the Medicare, you definitely want to meet with somebody. I feel personally, you need to meet with somebody who has all your options. Okay. Going with just a person that has only one side of it and then trying to go to another person that has maybe the other sides of it, work with somebody. That would be my best um, advice to anybody and probably somebody who's who's been in the business and understands it. If you're kind of more of a complicated case, I work with a lot of people who are retirees that are maybe leaving their job early. Maybe one spouse is 62, they're 67. You know, there's some paperwork involved there. There's, we have to do things a little bit differently. The spouse is going to need different insurance than the other spouse. So some of, some people who are Medicare, they don't want to do under 65 or health insurance. And that's completely understandable, but you kind of want somebody who's got your back on all of it and who understands all of the situation. You have absolutely nothing to use and everything to gain. And now I know my mom, so my dad just passed away. And so we had to um, look into what was going on with the health insurance and maybe getting reimbursed for the month that he paid, even though he didn't have it, things like that. But then there was also my mother told me something about that. She buys a supplement to her Medicare package. And I had never heard of that. So Supplement is on original Medicare side. That's what they call them, supplements or Medigap plans. Those have actually been around for a very long time. And there are thousands of companies that do private supplemental plans. And those are the letter plans. Those are the plans that are the plan N, the plan G's. We used to have a plan F that was very prevalent, but we don't have that anymore um, since 2020. Um, unless you're somebody who aged in prior to that at 65 and are able to qualify anybody after that, you cannot buy a, a supplement anymore. That's a plan F. 
But plan, those are basically designated by the government to cover you in a certain way. And they work differently than the other side of the Medicare, which is called Medicare Advantage. These are the ones that you're kind of getting inundated with on TV. You're getting a lot of phone calls on probably. You're getting a lot of mail and they can be very confusing. And they're the, also the ones that include a lot of different things that the supplement does not cover. They include the dental, the vision, the hearing, the over-the-counter um, you know, uh, credit that they give you to buy vitamins and supplements. They include fitness devices and personal tracker stuff like all kinds of different goodies for you um, and for individuals who could really use those things rather than just having a straight supplement at a higher price pay for everything for A and B that does not cover. Because when you get a supplement, you have to get a separate drug plan. So there's there's all different things that you need to look at. And it's good to kind of know what both sides of your choices are and what resonates with you because everybody's going to be a little different. Even spouses I have will go one, one will go one way and one will go another way. Because when you're a Medicare, you're separate. You're not under the same policy anymore. Right. And that confuses a lot of people. They think, well, can't we be on the same or do this? It, it doesn't work that way. You're an individual now in Social Security, basically. So, Terry Young, you are worth your weight in gold. Honestly, well, <laughs> everybody in every state in the world needs a Carrie Young because yes, I agree. <laughs> uh, yeah. And you and you could not be a more open, kind and uh, oh, generous person with your time. I think of all the times I called you frantically because something was went wrong yeah. that I didn't understand my fault kind of thing. No. You were always yeah. there to answer the phone. There was no like waiting five days for you to get back to me. You were no. like instant and truly. And so I thought, oh, well, I'm lucky. I know this person. And then come to find out now that I've lived here three years, I think, you know, every single human being in the state of Indiana. <laughs> I and, love people and I love to help yes. people. And it. I really feel with this job, that's what's made me be successful because I will, I don't care if it's a drug plan you need help on. I don't care if it's a question on your group plan you need help on. I'll read your policy. I'll help you through it because those are things I really enjoy doing is sitting down with people and getting to know them and, and helping them because it's a, it can be very stressful. As you know, when you don't understand things and, and insurance can become, it can be very complicated. Um, for, for a lot of, it's, it's a foreign language to me. Literally, I can't even read the first paragraph and I'm yeah. totally lost. So yeah, so it's really important. Have somebody who knows what they're doing. It will maximize what you are able to participate in and it will minimize the headaches. I'm telling you, it's the only way to go. Carrie Young of Carrie Young Insurance, the website. Same name, carryyounginsurance.com, everything there and how to reach her. She's currently for my listeners here in the Michiana area. She is right in Mishawaka on McKinley Avenue. And uh, she is just absolutely a pure joy to work with. You'll say at the end, wait, she's my friend. Is she actually really the my health insurance broker? Because I feel like she's a friend. <laughs> absolutely. Yes. And she truly is. And so... uh once again, remind us the dates that people need to enroll to get into Medicare. If you like, if you're already in Medicare, you can call, you know, somebody to review what you have. If you have a supplement, this is a good time to look at it. Drug plan, always review a drug plan. If you have a separate drug plan or you have high expensive drugs, this is the time to do it. October 15th through December 7th. And then that will be make you effective in January, on January 1st. 
So um, really good. And with health insurance, the marketplace, if anybody's out there under obviously 65 and they're on the marketplace, some people call it Obamacare, that will be November 1st to um, 12-15, so the December 15th, so 11-1 to 12-15 to get an open enrollment on that. Wonderful. Great to know. So once again, Carrie Young Insurance. Dot com And Carrie is spelled a little bit differently. C-A-R-I-E, right? Ma'am. Yeah. I wanted, I wanted to make sure I got that. Yeah. CarrieYoungInsurance.com. Thank you once again. And, um, you're, uh, you, like I said, worth your weight in gold. We need more of you in the United States, but, uh, for everyone in the states that you're a part of, the 13 states, and I'm sure you'll be growing your licensing in others as well. Yes, probably. Wonderful. Carrie Young Insurance. Thank you and have a wonderful day. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. You're listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Well, we often think of, you know, when abused animals are, you know, being brought to the forefront so that people can somehow try to be a part of stopping that or bringing awareness to it. You know, we're usually thinking about dogs and cats, things like that. But we don't often think of horses simply because they're not as ubiquitous as a a doggy or a kitty. But in fact, Horses and racehorses specifically, and even some that are very well known to us as those Budweiser Clydesdales, are being abused in ways that we, the regular person, even such as myself who loves animals, was not aware of. We have someone here today who is going to illuminate us on all of this. Kathy Guillermo, Senior Vice President of Equine Matters for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, better known as PETA. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is really an interesting topic, but one that gives me grave concern. Let's let's start first with racehorses. This year, I remember during the Kentucky Derby, there was this alarming rate of horses that were dying at the track the very week of the Kentucky Derby. And I, for one, was wondering what in the world is going on? You know, I think we all want to know what's going on. And what we hear from the racing industry is so disingenuous because they keep saying, oh, we've done the study. We don't know. There's not a single factor. We don't know what's happening. But when they can't keep their so-called athletes alive at the very highest levels of a sport, I think we have to demand real change and real answers. What we do know is that 90% of horses who break bones on a track and have to be euthanized as a result have an injury at the site of where that break occurs. So probably for most of these horses, they already had an injury that nobody detected, and that's why they broke a bone. Oh, so you're saying that many of these horses, that were, were they ready to participate in the Kentucky Derby? Well, I think, you know, there were a number of races leading up to the Derby and after the Derby where those 12 horses died. And I I think what the question that you raise is exactly the one that I have. These horses who, who did race and who did die probably were not fit to be run. And I, I say that meaning, you know, that they probably had issues. One thing we know is that horses are often not given enough time to recuperate from the stresses or the injuries of training and racing, just like if you run a half marathon, you need a few days to recover from that. 
the horses instead are given a routine number of drugs. And it's routine only in the sense that almost everybody does it. But we're talking about 20, 25 injections of anti-inflammatories, of painkillers, of sedatives in the weeks before a race. And that's all completely legal. And the problem with that is that the horses then, if they have an injury, they're not feeling it. So they're not showing it. And we, we simply don't know. Now, there's a, a lot more that could be done to, to try to prevent these deaths. But I think the industry and the oversight body now need to get at that very fundamental issue. I mean, if it's happening at that level and during this one particular time, there's obviously something going on. There's a pattern and there is there must be some striking, you know, the same type of thing happening to each of the horses. Do we know, were they all dying of the same type of thing? Were they all being euthanized because they had fractures and breakages? Do we know why they were dying and how they were dying? Yes, we know that of the 12 who died at at Churchill Downs uh, and of of those, 10 of them, and also the one who died on Preakness Stakes Weekend and the two who died at Belmont on Belmont Stakes Weekend for the Triple Crown. We know that all of those horses fractured, suffered a catastrophic fracture and were euthanized for that. Two of the horses who died at Churchill Downs collapsed and died. And almost immediately the word was, oh, it was a heart attack. Well, we really don't know that because no necropsy had been done. And there was no explanation given after it had been done for why those horses collapsed and died. I can't make an accusation of this, but I always worry about illegal substances when we see horses suddenly collapsing and dying like that. But the vast majority broke bones. And this is where we really have to get at detection of injuries early through CT scanning equipment that we recommend, and also not using those medications that mask those injuries. Right. And also, wouldn't it be important for them just not to allow an injured horse to be put through these rigorous uh, training and then also running in these races where there's so much at stake? I mean, why would they be running if they were injured? I mean, aren't the, does the jockey themselves, do they have any knowledge of what's going on with the horses that they're riding? You know, the jockeys have very little say in what happens. Now, I think most jockeys would probably refuse a ride if they were aware that a horse is is injured, because obviously it's a great risk to them. If a horse goes down during a race, that jockey goes with them, and at least one of them uh, jockey suffered broken bones himself, and a couple of others were taken to the hospital to be observed. So that's a real problem. I think what has gone wrong is the entire attitude of trainers and owners and everyone involved to what this sport is about, uh, to what racing involves. There are so many cruelties that, you know, above and beyond the broken bones that we could talk about. But I think this fundamental issue is they have now established a pattern we're giving medication is just default. They have the veterinarians. The veterinarians come in. They give the injections. They just do it. And the, in in some cases, we know there's not even an examination of a horse before medication is given. So this attitude is that I've got this animal, what one veterinarian told me, a chemical horse, and just, okay, it's Tuesday. You're going to get this shot of anti-inflammatory. 
I think this is where the problem begins. And um, I don't think any of them want their animals to die, but they certainly aren't taking the steps necessary. And a good portion of this industry wants the rest of the world to butt out, which, of course, isn't going to happen. Thanks to people like PETA. So grateful for that. As we switch hats now, still in talking about horses, but something that is more um, well-known, uh, especially because of their uh, their fame of being on those television commercials, those Budweiser Clydesdales, which I think any average person watching the Super Bowl commercials and seeing the Clydesdales, we're probably thinking in our minds, these are the best well-cared-for horses in the universe. What could they possibly be going through that would merit anybody like PETA or any organization to be looking into their care? They look like they would be the most pampered of all the animals in the world. But tell us the, the sad underlying truth is about these Clydesdales. Laura, I've got good news and bad news on the Clydesdales today. The, the bad news is that, yes, despite how incredibly beautiful they are, that these iconic images of American values ushering in the Christmas season or the new year for the Super Bowl. Uh, what we found at, in our undercover investigation at Warm Springs uh, Farm and Grant's Farm, where the horses are born and where they live when they're adults, is that they were amputating the tailbones of these magnificent Clydesdales. And that is literally what it sounds like. They were cutting off the bones of their tails just a few inches down from where their bodies are which is a, a dreadful thing to do. It's a relic of an 18th century practice uh, uh -huh. that for some reason, really just a cosmetic reason that they were doing that for these horses. The and good but for what is, reason? What reason? Because they think it looks yeah. better not to have a tailbone? That's exactly what it was. It was strictly for cosmetic purposes. Now they may tell you, oh, the hair could get caught in the hitch of the, of the wagon, the beer wagon that they pull, the Budweiser wagon. But in fact, all you need to do is braid the hair and put an elastic wrap around it, and that would take care of that. And it's really not, with modern equipment, it is really not a problem any longer. I, I am happy to tell you that just yesterday, uh, Anheuser-Busch came out and said they are stopping the amputation of the tails in response to our campaign. <gasps> That is great news. Great news. So they, what they need is a, a awareness. B, they need someone looking at them and saying, this is, this is atrocious. And heaven knows that Budweiser's gone through enough this year with, with sort of, uh, the unwanted attention in, in the ways that's not helping them. At least they're doing the right thing with these horses by not doing that anymore. When are they going to, uh, start it again? They, they say they have ended it completely, and so that means that when the new foals are born very late in the year or early next year, that those horses will not be mutilated. And this means, of course, that they will be able to swat the flies off themselves and the mosquitoes, which they couldn't do before, and their balance will not be impaired uh, by the loss of part of their spinal column. And I do think this is a, a testament to the power of the consumer because 120,000 people participated in our online action alert and made calls to Budweiser. And I think that's so powerful that if anybody doubts what their voice can do, this is evidence of what it, what it absolutely can do to help animals. 
the tireless work that you, Kathy Guillermo, Senior Vice President of Equine Matters for People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, PETA, all the good work that you do. We thank you on behalf of these animals that need your attention and need to be treated humanely and and with all of the love and care that they they absolutely deserve. Thank you for your hard work and making changes in in these ways. It's it's so important and um Congratulations on your victory with with the Clydesdales, and may you continue to have great success with all of your causes at PETA. We thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. PETA.org is the website, PETA.org, for more information on all of the work that they do. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Once again, here's Laura. Well, there are a lot of overdoses that happen in the country and more so than ever before. There are some measures, however, to mitigate the circumstances for which someone finds uh, themselves in an overdose situation or uh, people who surround someone that is going through that. The National Safety Council is urging all workplaces to obtain a certain product called, sorry, we'll edit that, to obtain naloxone which is a life-saving opioid overdose reversal medication. And we want to hear all about now how this initiative is trying to get into the workplace and what that's going to mean for your places of work where people might be experiencing something like this. Lorraine, thank you so much. Thank you, Laura. So, I mean, we're hearing about overdoses constantly in the news um, happening, and not only at such a rate, but really with, you know, people in places that we wouldn't normally expect it to be happening. And it seems as though someone has to be at the ready uh, for this product that is saving lives. And so tell us about how you're trying to get this into the workplace and what that means for any place. Yeah, at the ready is is a really great way to to put it, Laura. Um, Overdoses are now the leading cause of an unintentional death in the U.S. And they're happening anywhere, anytime, as you said, in any place. And at a rate of 200 a day. And we'll just let that sink in for a moment. Um, and because they're happening anywhere, they're also happening at work. Right now, 9% of the fatalities in workplaces across the nation are overdoses. In some states, it climbs up to almost 20% of the deaths in workplaces are from overdoses. So we know workplaces are a place, one, that we can save a life, and two, that we can educate, provide awareness, and hopefully have those skills be taken home when people leave the workplace. So we have launched what's called Respond Ready Workplace, uh, which is a designed to really increase the awareness of the issue, help address things like stigma and any other barriers that might be in the place, and then make sure naloxone is at the ready, to use your term, um, and people are trained to use it. Yeah, I was surprised. I talked to someone um, where I live in northern Indiana, and uh, they said, you would be surprised how many people in the manufacturing uh, world are experiencing seeing coworkers go through this. And I'm, or I, I was just flabbergasted and I thought, wow, um, you know, it, it, it's not just, you, you think of it just as perhaps in some back alley somewhere, someone's, you know, going through a hard time and this is what they're doing with their life. But, but it's not, it's like daily people who show up for work 
which just blows my mind that this this takes place. So is naloxone something that's easy to administer? I mean, does it, what kind of position does this put a company in? Do people need to be trained on how to use it or do they dial 911? How is it uh, actually administered? All great questions. And if you go back to your statement about it's, it's happening in the workplaces, it is happening in the workplaces. And uh, Laura, I talk to a lot of folks. And at this point, I don't run into a lot of people who haven't had some story in their life, whether it was a colleague at work, whether it was a kid in their high school in their town, whether it was a family member, this is touching everyone. Um, and not only uh, folks that have substance use issues, but also the, the the new dynamic of fentanyl being in pills that someone might just hand to a coworker and say, "Oh, you hurt your knee at work. I, you know, you got to get through the shift. I have my painkiller that I, you know, I, a prescription, but it's not. It's over the internet." has fentanyl in it, that person could put their life at risk and have an overdose from a single decision of of taking a pill that wasn't what they expected it to be. So the dynamic is very different than I think a lot of the the, the perceptions that we have. And it is mm-hmm. happening in workplaces. And thankfully, um, the medical community has a drug called naloxone that is an opioid overdose, overdose reversal medication. So it literally stops the overdose from occurring and gives you a chance to get that person to medical assistance with 911 or other resources. It's basically a nasal spray, like any other kind of nasal spray that you might be used to seeing over the counter. Um, and it's very easy to administer. The training is very straightforward. And um, it can't hurt someone. So uh, we want to, one, lean into this, and two, never hesitate if you see someone with that emergency in front of you. You mentioned the manufacturing industry. Manufacturing has been hit very hard. Construction has been hit hard transportation, logistics, and utilities. Those are industries that are higher than others, but every industry is is being impacted by this. Um, and it's so important that we get this into workplaces, get the training, treat it like any other first aid response, like we do with a heart attack in an AED system. Uh, unfortunately, given what's going on in our world, this needs to be something that we all are aware of, trained on, and have available. I mean, it makes me sad when I hear these statistics and the rate of occurrence. But at the same time, I feel hope to know that there's actually like something as simple as a nasal spray that can reverse this and possibly save a life. So that to me sounds well worth it. And um, I hope that uh, uh, places will be trained in this and and, and encouraged to adopt it. Um, is this something that you're seeing an open response to? Or are people seeming to want to be on board with having naloxone available at their workplaces? It's a journey for sure. There are some companies that, that have moved out and oftentimes, unfortunately, it's because they have had a tragedy. And so they take action. I'm looking to get to everybody before those tragedies happen um, and make sure that this is just standard across industry. Yes, um, uh, everyone hears it. I think, as as you said, there's just some surprise surprises that it's that it is become this prevalent for us and that in indeed it does happen at work and not only can we help save that person at work when we train people at work they understand they bring it home they bring it to their kid who's in, in the dorm and make sure that they have been educated and have naloxone on hand they bring it to their community um, since they've been trained at work so we really also see workplaces sort of as sort of a force multiplier to not only resolve the issue, be able to respond at work, but then also have that be something that spreads throughout the communities because 200 lives a day is is something we can do something about. Oh, for sure. And this sounds like good news uh, for once. Uh, 
Thank you so much. What is a good website that people can go to to find out more about naloxone and getting it into their place of work? Yeah, thank you. So nsc.org slash respond ready will give you the resources and, and guides to help get this into your workplace. nsc.org slash respond ready. Very good. Lorraine Martin, the president and CEO of the National Safety Council, which is a nonprofit with a century long legacy of eliminating preventable deaths and injuries from the workplace to any place. Thank you so much, Lorraine. I really appreciate you being here on the way home. Thank you, Laura. You're listening to The Way Home. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You're listening to The Way Home with Laura Smith. Here's Laura. Oh, my goodness. As I mentioned at the beginning of the program, so much going on in the world. And that's when I truly feel that to take a deep breath and to go within it's a good time to uh you know search your soul and get into your prayer life whatever it is that inspires you or helps you to to get through the day and to also uh, be there for others i like to end the program on a bunch of good news stories because i just think there's something that happens to our psyches, I think, when we hear good news, even though, yes, there's a lot we have to pay attention to that's negative and we have to pay attention to it because it's so important. It's also good just to be able to hear good news. So for that, we turn to Jim Cleefield, our guru of good news, with a couple of wonderful stories he found on the Internet this week. Yes, I did. And I don't know if you're familiar with this festival, LJ, uh, in Evansville, Indiana, not too, too far from you. It's called the West Side Nut Club Fall Festival. This happened recently, but this is where the story unfolds. There's a woman named Ashley Bargle and her three-year-old son, Maddox. And they were at the festival that night. There was a lot of excitement in the air, the noise, the lights. But you can imagine, though, for a young kid, though, it could be very overwhelming, maybe a little sensory overload going on there because of the toddlers started having a tantrum. That typically happens with three-year-olds, right? Well, here's where the good news comes in at this beautiful event. There was a 16-year-old named Michael Bartlett who happened to play one of the carnival games, and he won something, something very, very nice, a nice stuffed red panda. And he happened to have it in his handies with a bunch of friends nearby online while this was all unfolding. He noticed the kids play and he decided to walk over to where Ashley and her son were. And he asked the woman, hey, can I give this uh, to your son, this beautiful red stuffed panda? I think he's going to feel much better. She said, absolutely. You know what? He felt so much better because, as I said, uh, with uh, all the conditions there and all the sensory overload, just to get a stuffed panda, I mean, that's kind of like a, it just calms that child down. Well, anyway, uh, he was very happy to do it. And it didn't take long for her to really recognize his act of kindness. So she went on Facebook to find out who this 16-year-old is. He found him and through mutual friends, uh, she was able to thank them. And next, and he just was so overwhelmed to hear about this because he didn't expect anything really to come out of this to really blow up into something special. He said, I just, I just want to do some good for the child to make him feel better. Well, all of a sudden that led to a reunion of the two families, Michael's and Ashley's on FaceTime after that. And she was so inspired by this act of kindness that Michael did that she said, after this experience, she's going to go out of her way going forward to spread kindness to others throughout her neighborhood, wherever it may be, paying for it, all this goodwill that Maddox had received from Michael. So she is very pleased and, as I said, very inspired by all this. You know, it sometimes... You, it's just we we always hear things about teenagers and, you know, the things that we wish were different about them or whatever. But there are so many wonderful teenagers out there 
who have just so much goodness in their hearts. And it, you know, they don't wait until they grow up to, to start being kind. It's very nice. I like that. And a red panda. Hmm. Stuffed red panda. Okay. All right. Well, what's your next one? Well, this one uh, unfolds at Yosemite National Park. And uh, you may be familiar with the iconic Half Dome. Now, if you've been to Yosemite or maybe you've seen pictures of this, it's very, very iconic. Well, what happened was there was a U.S. Air Force captain who was off duty who had a beautiful uh, act of kindness. Uh, He basically, he is a hero. He saved a climber who was on the Half Dome and was able to save the life of a gentleman who was trying to get up the Half Dome, which is about a little about a little about 8,800 feet. It's a very, very steep climb for him. And he had just had a fall. Um, he had dropped about maybe 60 to 80 feet. And if he had gone to further another 1,000 feet, it could have been a very catastrophic situation. And that's where it all began. Well, thankfully, the officer, Captain Joshua Habermitt is his name, uh, he was able to quickly, because of his medical training and readiness, was able to get to where the accident had happened, where the uh, the incident unfolded. And thankfully, a park ranger came on scene to assist him. Otherwise, it would have been a more tragic situation. They were able to get his injured leg, kind of wrapped it up uh, in a triage. Um, he suffered uh, injuries to his tibia and fibula. And they were able to successfully stop his fall right about maybe about six and a half feet from near the ground. There was a ledge that was able to stop his fall. They eventually helicoptered the uh, victim to the hospital where he was able to get the urgent treatment he needed. But the fact that this officer was the right place at the right time, this Air Force captain was able to do it with a little bit of help. And as I said, he was able to save from what could have been a very catastrophic fall. So it's just this kind of heroism that we see from people because these Air Force, uh, I mean, we, we say thank you for your service to any military individual, of course. But uh, the fact that he was able to save this man's life, uh, it's, again, Johnny on the spot right there. And he good thing for him. And as a life has been saved, just wonderful. It always amazes me how people have the courage to do things like mountain climbing. I have a friend who goes all the time and goes way, way up in these things. And even Dr. Howard from Balance of Nature, I'll never forget one time. We did this show with Dr. Howard climbing Mount Everest and he wow. was he was up there and it was just amazing to me that people have that kind of courage and we're seeing it all over now it acts of courage with things that are going on in the Middle East the people that are really trying to save lives and and help others and people do have courage and whether they're 16 years old and just seeing the need of a little baby or they're helping someone save their life on the side of a mountain or during a war. You know, there is so much good in the world and there are so many good people. And on that note, I want to thank you all for joining us and thank Carrie Young from Carrie Young Insurance and also PETA for letting us know about the racehorses. And truly, there are lots of ways to get involved in making life better for everyone and to have a heart to do it. Well, that's what we all pray to be like. Thank you for listening to The Way Home. Have a great week. Lots of love and God bless. From The Way Home, I'm Laura Smith.